So as Louis said, last week we launched a brand new series called Struggles, following Jesus in a selfie-centered world. And over five weeks, we're going to be looking at different struggles. And actually, the struggles aren't new struggles. So the topics we're going to be covering aren't 21st century, first time in history struggles. However, we recognize that with the advance of technology and the, and the, the, the permeation of technology into pretty much every sphere of life, and social media being not only pervasive, but often invasive, that there's things that we struggle with that have become, as I said, not so much new, but, but more prominent and, and more immediate um, and more constant. We live in an always-on society. And so last week we talked about contentment and uh, to make sure that we don't envy, to make sure we don't compete. And social media, unfortunately, can fuel this idea of comparison. Um, and we've been looking each week at what the Bible says. And obviously, the Bible doesn't speak to technology specifically. It doesn't certainly have any explicit references about Facebook or Instagram. What the Bible does, however, give us are some very clear rules for engagement for life. Because the, the topics we're going to be talking about, they're actually life issues. They're actually matters of the heart. And uh, if you weren't here last week, like Louis said, or you want to catch it up again... Go on to our podcast, have a listen to that message. Um, I, know, I even know many of you contacted me during the week because you have friends who aren't part of Elevate Church that you thought of that would benefit and you've been able to recommend them to that, which is fantastic. Just a little uh, request, by the way, genuine request. When you go on to the podcast or, or if you, you, you're in that sort of uh, sphere on iTunes, leave us a rating because uh, as far as the way iTunes works is that if you leave us a rating, and by the way, five-star rating, thank you, okay? One of my friends liked it and left a one-star rating thinking one's better than five, and I'm like, you idiot. No, not in this setting. Five's better than one. So I had to hack his account and change his rating. Um, anyway, leave us a rating, and it makes our uh, podcast more discoverable, actually, is the reason for that, so hopefully more people will benefit. Now, unless you've been living on a deserted island since the age of 12, you would have discovered in life that sometimes relationships can get complicated, right? People have tried to solve the relationship complication issue. Uh, maybe not solve it so much as just uh, allow you to have a bit of fun with it. Last year, a new website, and I gave some of you guys the heads up on this, was launched, sendglitzertoyourenemies.com. And uh, for a very low fee, you can anonymously send an envelope full of glitter to someone that you dislike. Uh, $7.99 is all it takes. And uh, they will open it up. Glitter will go everywhere, and their day will be ruined. And they won't even know it was you. So that's just an idea. Um, by the way, if you... If, if you think you, you know, maybe have a business idea and you're not sure of the efficacy of that business idea, this business was started by a couple of Queensland boys. And uh, go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. Go back. This business was started by a couple of Queensland boys uh, from scratch. Pretty low uh, capital intensive business. All you need is envelopes and glitter. And uh, after just two weeks in operation, they sold the business to some investors in, in uh, Las Vegas for $80,000. 40000 bucks a week? Not bad. Anyway, if glitter's not your thing, or if you've done the glitter thing to your enemies and you're wanting to kind of maybe, you know, jab a little bit deeper, 
uh, I'm happy to let you know that you can now send a jart. Yes, a jart. A jart is, as probably the name suggests, a fart in a jar. And you can send that to your enemies. It will come with the fart in a sealed jar and a note anonymously written from you as to why you think your enemy deserves a jart. Facebook even acknowledges that relationships can get complicated. Issues with technology, relationships in their effect have even spawned the opportunity for cartoonists to make some money off taking jabs at issues that technology comes up. I think I like you better online. Have you ever thought about that when you've met someone in person? Hmm, I wish you'd go back to your computer. What about this one here? Having a date night and uh, only to discover that during the date night they broke up with you because they changed their Facebook status. Or there's this one here. Marital separation. But, you know. So let me state this. Social media, this is the big bottom line I'm going to weave through this morning. Social media. We love social media, by the way. We're not going to throw the whole thing under the bus, but there's aspects of it that we are going to throw under the bus. Social media gives us a level of companionship without the deep benefits of in-person friendship. Yes, I do know what friends with benefit means, and no, that's not what I'm referring to with that statement just there. Let me pick up on a, on a story, something that one of Jesus' followers, a guy named John, wrote. Jesus had just finished washing his disciples' feet. And uh, it was an incredibly symbolic thing to do for them. Uh, this was a day when people did not wear closed shoes. This was a day when people did not travel in cars, but in fact, instead walked on open, unsealed roads where animals would also walk and so on and so forth. And so it was actually reasonably commonplace for people to have their feet washed before they dined for, for hygiene reasons. Not, and not, not just so that you wouldn't have to smell your feet, uh, but actually people would often eat in a reclined position. So where your face was putting food in, the person next to you's feet was your closest neighbor. That's, that's the historical context. And so Jesus, in this type of setting, before him and his closest followers were about to eat this particular meal, Jesus, see, and, and that job of washing the feet would, would, have, been, would have been given to the, to the person at the bottom of, of the social ladder in that context, the servant who was paid the least, you know, the, the, the stupidest, etc. Just, hey, mate, you're the foot washer, okay, until further notice. So it was not a glamorous role. And on this particular occasion, in order to demonstrate something to his followers, Jesus actually took a wash basin and a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. This is not what kings are meant to do. This is not what sons of God are meant to do, or so people thought. And so Jesus actually came to earth in the flesh to show us what God's really like, that God is a servant. And dwells among us. And so he just finished washing the disciples' feet. And then the object lesson was rounded out with this very, very clear statement. Let me give you a new command. Love one another. A new command? You'd think they'd have known that all along. Well, seemingly not. Love 
one another in the same way I loved you, in the same way I just got down on my hands and knees with a wash basin and a towel and washed your feet, served you in the, in the lowest, most humble way I could possibly demonstrate in this context, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. Note what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say they'll know you're my disciples by how many Facebook friends you have. He didn't say they'll know you're my disciples by how many likes you get on your holiday pics. He didn't even say they'll know you're my disciples by how high your clout score is. Some of you, that was news to you last week. He instead says here that life is all about loving people because we love God we need to also make sure we love people. Life's about relationships, actual in-person relationships. And there's some observations that I've made, and I'm pretty sure you'll resonate real quickly with them when I roll them out, but some observations of how technology is actually changing relationships, and, and, and some for the better, but not all for the better. For example, the term friend is evolving A short time ago, not some time in our great, 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 great grandparents' time, but, but just uh, five to ten years ago, the term friend actually required some level of in-person interaction. That's how you would define a friend. Someone that you've probably seen in the flesh within recent weeks, maybe months. Now, we can be friends with somebody online that we've never even met in person. The term friend is evolving. Now, I didn't find Aussie data for this. I found some US data. I, I, I can't imagine that we're quite close to this. But in the US, the average Facebook user has 328 friends, but only two close in-person friends. There's lots of online interactivity, but less and less in-person intimacy. And I say it this way, more than ever, we're living alone together. And that's a problem. This week, one of the podcasts I listened to is called uh, the TED Radio Hour. And it's interviews with various people who have given TED Talks. And they kind of drill into the topic that they gave their TED Talk on. And this particular interview I was listening to is with a psychologist who'd, who'd given uh, a TED Talk about relationships and community, and the need for intimacy and re in, in person. And she talked about the, the, the fact that uh, an incredible percentage of U.S. military who have been on active duty, uh, deployed somewhere in the world, when they come back, an, an astonishing number, I, I can't remember the exact number, I'm not even sure she said it, but an astonishing number, immediately sign up for another tour of duty. Not even required to. It's like, you're done, we'll get the new recruits over and give them their tour of duty. And an inordinate amount of, of, of U.S. military sign up voluntarily for another tour of duty. She went on to explain is, is that because it's, it's for the first time in their lives when they're actually in these uh, situ battle situations with 40 or 50 other soldiers, they experience a level of community, a level of intimacy that they've never experienced it before. And, 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 and when they're taken from that, so they, they, they recognize something's missing. They call it a band of brothers. 
And so they sign up, can't wait to get back, not to being shot at, but to be in this setting where the relationships are so intense that it can't be replicated when they come back home. It's the number one struggle that the spouses and the kids have, thinking that they're inadequate, thinking that, that their husband doesn't love them. And it's not that their husband doesn't love them, but it's because a nuclear family of four or five people is never going to be enough to, ser- to serve us in terms of the sort of relationships that God's hardwired us to, to experience. And it, it almost doesn't sound fair to say that. But, but it's true. Your spouse will never be everything for you. Your kids will never be everything for you. And we'll never be everything for them. But we weren't meant to. See, for millions of years... We didn't live in, in, behind a, a closed remote control uh, garage door, behind a gate that was off the, you know, the beaten track in, an, in a nice little suburb somewhere. We didn't live like that. We didn't live as nuclear families. For millions of years, we lived in tribes of 40 or 50 people. And that tribe was your family. It was synonymous. You, you did life together. You struggled together. You survived together. You invested in each other together. Evolutionary biology plays to the fact that we are desi- we're used to doing life in deep spirited community with, with, with more than two or three people and actually in person. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, that shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us either because we're created in the image and likeness of God. And we've already sung about it this morning. God is three in one. God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God exists in community. But here's what's interesting as well. Even though God exists in community and he's complete, he still wanted to have relationship with us. And so he created us in order to have relationship. And he didn't just create one. Or two, he didn't just, you know, start a social network. You know, I'm sure he had the idea long before Mark Zuckerberg did, you know. He's God and everything. If he wanted to invent computers and create Facebook, he could, but he didn't. He created us to have relationship with. Social media gives us a level of companionship without the deep benefits of in-person Friendship. Another th- observation of how technology is changing relationships is we're becoming addicted to immediate affirmation. Now, we all love affirmation. Someone go, good job. Don't tell me that. No, we don't say that. We say, oh, shucks. Oh, really like, you know, that, 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 that new uh, thing you're wearing. Oh, this old thing. Yeah, of course not. We love it when people say stuff like that. But now, we can take a selfie Okay, I won't do it now. I don't want you to envy my picture. We can take a selfie and, and then we can track in real time who, how many likes it's getting, right? <coughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call a few of you out as well. I bet, I never do this, but I bet some of you don't just track how many likes you get. I bet occasionally you look to see who's liked it because you have a ranking system that some of your friends and family Oh, they didn't like it. Oh, I hate them. Oh, don't judge me. I don't think that way. (coughs) Sometimes I do. It's no wonder we like affirmation. Affirmation doesn't just play to our emotions. It actually releases the chemical dopamine in our brain. And, and, And that chemical is addictive. 
So, so now, we don't have to wait every few months to, for, for a family get-together when we buy, buy the new shoes and somebody affirms it. We, we, we get real-time, each and every day, affirmation if we want it, and that, that's addictive. And so the more we get it, the more we want it. Dopamines, no surprise. Problem is, it meets a short-term need, but it ignores a long-term, more meaningful need. Psychologists refer to this as deferred loneliness. You can be incredibly lonely. I know what I'll do. Girl sitting at the restaurant. Pretend this is me and my mates having lunch together. Got him. Boom. Put it out there. Like, oh, you're awesome. I'm not lonely anymore. No, you really are. But you've taken this technology just to defer your loneliness. And this is a problem. Living for likes while longing for love. It's no coincidence that we don't do Elevate groups by Facebook Messenger. So, uh, everyone, did you all read that uh, Bible verse that Mark preached about on Sunday? Bing! Oh, yeah. No. Life's better together. And in our fast-paced, increasingly disconnected settings. We, we've created environments. Yes, gathering together Sunday mornings, sure, absolutely. But this is just kind of dipping our toes in the water because we can be just as together alone for one hour every Sunday as sitting in our lounge room with our technology. Social media gives us a level of companionship without the deep benefits of in-person friendship. Another observation of how technology is changing relationships is more than ever, we've got the power to do friendship on our own terms. We get to ignore the messages people send us. We get to like things and not like other things. Facebook's often been campaigned to have a dislike button added to their uh, service, and they are smart enough to not add that to their service. And if you want to ask me about that, I can tell you because I've listen to interviews with their team of psychologists that they employ to help them better understand what people will actually jibe with or not. But then, you know, we can even unfollow people. And, by the way, Facebook have, have put in there that, that the people you unfollow won't know that you've unfollowed them because that wouldn't be cool. You wouldn't want that. But we can now do everything on our own terms. We can remain in control from a distance. Problem is we're more connected yet more alone. Now, last Sunday night, uh, Louis and I had the incredible uh, privilege and opportunity to be invited to Steve and Renati's engagement. It's Steve's birthday today, not to get overshadowed by Louis's birthday next sa- s- Sunday. So the Festival of Steve, hashtag Festival of Steve, uh, is today. And the whole rest of the week, including next Sunday, is the Festival of Louis. So... Uh, um, but they, uh, Steve and Renati celebrated their engagement last Sunday night, and, um, and uh, Louie and I were a part of that. Um, and they put us on an adult's table. All right. Immediately behind us was, was, was a rowdy, rowdy table of Elevate people. And uh, I called it the kids' table. On the adults' table, on the kids' table, we're having this civilized conversation where everyone took turns and stuff, and oh, it was it was ugly the stuff that was coming from that table. 
But yeah, well, that's right. Stewie and, and Susan were on the adults' table for about three seconds, and then I like, screw this. We're over to the kids' table. But anyway, I've got to tell you, apart from obviously celebrating Stephen Renati's uh, occasion, uh, I was incredibly proud that night, uh, occasionally glancing over to the kids' table because uh, on that table was about a dozen people who less than 12 months ago didn't even know each other for the most part. Uh, God's, you know, some of them has only known each other for, for, for a few short months and uh, they've connected here at Elevate and, and, and that night they were sitting together like they'd been lifelong buddies. Just this incredible uh, relational strength that, that you could tell is palpable. And, and yet it wasn't a coincidence that that happened because I literally did a head count and every single one of the people on that table are part of an Elevate group. And every single one of those people are part of an Elevate team. And so they got known to one another. Not just Facebook friends, but in-person friends. And, you know, we live in an instant society with so many things. But let me just say, you cannot microwave deep-spirited relationships i mean yeah there's instant chemistry and you know you know there's people we click with quicker than others but 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 in terms of building deep spirited friendships it takes time it takes effort oh you know i've been a part part of that church now for for a year and i don't know anyone well well how many people did have you invited home for lunch how many people have you invited out for a coffee well, why is it everyone else's job for you to find friends? It takes a level of, well, that sounds a bit harsh, Mark. Oh, well, take it or leave it. It's the truth. The Bible says if you want to have friends, you must first be a friend. Simple. It's sowing and reaping. Sow friendship, reap friendship. It, it takes time. You're going to even try with some people and you're going to find you don't particularly like them. That's, that's okay. They're not the person on the planet. They're not the only person here at Elevate Church. It takes time. It takes investment. It takes responsibility. But social media isn't going to get it done because social media gives us a level of companionship without the deep benefits of in-person friendship. So I want to just hit one thing today. How do we get from loneliness to intimacy? And I said, the Bible has a lot to say about the rules of engagement for life. The writer of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, wrote this. I love this. I love the language of this. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, because you don't get the benefits of in-person relationships if you don't turn up in person, as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. The big day, by the way, is not Christmas in this setting. The big day is Jesus is coming back, looking for a church, his bride that is glorious, that is radiant, that is full of deep spirited friendships. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on. I boil this down to two very simple words that is a guiding life principle. Practice, 
presence. You'll notice if you've been following Jesus for some time that God wrote a thing called the Bible, right? So, so God's into sending messages, right? But he didn't just stop with sending us a message. He sent a messenger. He knew that just a written word wasn't going to get it done. He also needed to turn up in person. And demonstrate because people had had the written stuff for, for centuries and had got a completely skewed idea of who God is. So he turned up in person and loved them and washed their feet. And even that was written down, but it was written down about someone who loved in person. We need to love people face to face, not just thumbs to thumbs. And you're going to have people in your world, and many of you have, I know, that you're going to get some bad news from. You're, they're going to have a bad report. They're going to have lost their job. They're going to have had a kid that's gone MIA. They're going to have a, a health issue that's come up, right? Now, level one, you can pick up your little doodad and you can send them a text praying for you. It's good. It's good. It's level one to start. You can even go to level two, though, because buried deep inside these doodads is a feature called a phone, and, and it allows us to actually phone people, and you can say, hey, how are you going? Got your news. Sorry to hear that. Thought I'd call you to let you know. I'm praying for you. It's good. It's level two. Now, come on. Let's get real crazy here for a second, shall we? Right? Let's just rip the top of this thing. There's level three. You're not going to believe this, but level three is actually going and visiting them in person and, and, and taking it up from praying for you to praying with you. Because the best fashioned in-person prayer is going to always trump the best fashioned text message. Before I land this message this morning, let me, let me just say something to the introverts. My fellow introverts, see some of you, if you only turn up for, 30, for 60 minutes on a Sunday and see me preach for 30 minutes, think I'm an extrovert and I'm not. I'm an introvert. Now, some of you are also introverts, and so a message like this either scares you or, or beyond that, you just kind of go, Mark, at 11 o'clock, you're going to shut up, and I'm going to pretend I didn't hear a thing. And it will be really sad because I'm going to share with you a few insights as an introvert. This wasn't on the original draft of my message, understand? And I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't get away from it because introverts, you too need to experience the deep benefits of in-person friendship, but it won't necessarily come as naturally to you. But I don't believe God wants you to crop yourself out because he didn't make a mistake when he hardwired you with a bit more of an introverted bent. Let me blow a couple of myths about introversion and extroversion, though. I'm not talking about olive oil here, right? Extroversion. 
Paul. That one was for you, Paul. This diagram is incorrect. Have any of no, don't put your hands up. But just, just that. Have any of you ever thought about introversion and extroversion in this way, that someone's either an introvert or an extrovert? This diagram is incorrect. This is not how things play out, okay? This is how things play out. We're not either introverts or extroverts. We have a proclivity towards extroversion or a proclivity towards introversion. And each of us exists somewhere on this sliding scale, okay? That's why... At that end, you can perhaps insert the words extreme introversion. You understand? Because you know it. You, you, you've, you know some people who are sort of introverted, and then you know some people. Well, you probably don't know them because they never come out. Uh, 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 but, but you've heard about them that are extreme introverts. That's the, see, they're way down here. Now, you know some people. You might even be someone who's you know, a bit more on the extroverted, and then you know someone who's extreme extrovert, like, woo! They are like a tidal wave of espresso coffee every time you meet them, right? This is more like it is. The introvert, when you meet, the extrovert, when you meet them, says, hey, it's great to meet you. Come for dinner sometime. The introvert says, hi, great to meet you. And then when you get home, maybe they've sent you a request to be friends on Facebook, all right? There's different expressions. But here's another thing, just to blow the myth before I give some tips to my fellow introverts. <clears throat> Along this sliding scale, we aren't actually a point on this scale. Like, you know, I'm here on the introversion scale. What you'll identify, I hope, is that we operate within a bandwidth. And there's certain settings where we are even introverts, we are actually more comfortable to come a little bit further down the extroverted scale, okay? Safe friends, certain family gatherings, whatever. There's, there's, these, there's these comfort zones. We, we actually come down a little bit towards the extroverted scale. Uh, there's even ex- extroverts who understand that there's, there's occasions where they might need to just kind of dial things back a little. We live in a bandwidth, not a single point. I, I hope, okay, I'm going to recommend a book to my fellow introverts. In Western society, extroversion has become the cultural celebrated norm, all right? Uh, Business leaders have been convinced that we need to become like Richard Branson, extreme extrovert in order to be a successful business leader. You might not be aware that over 50% of the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are introverts. And the reason that you don't know that is we don't, we couldn't be bothered telling you (laughs) that we're taking over the world. (laughs) We're just getting it done. So we're not jumping out of planes and, you know, ballooning across the Atlantic, we're just getting it done. Bill Gates, richest man in the world, introvert. Warren Buffett, second richest man in the world, introvert. So don't even think if you're an introvert that God can't use you incredibly, including leading people. But let me say this, if you're an introvert, he can't use you incredibly sitting sheltered behind your computer 24 hours a day. This has been my story. Now, 
before I tell you a little bit of my story, the book is this. Uh, Susan Cain, you can read her TED, or see her TED Talk. It's called Quiet, one of my dreams in life. Stop talking and leave me alone. The power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. And she will give you some incredible encouragement and some incredible instruction. But this is a topic that I've studied for years myself. In my early 20s as an introvert, I felt very clearly God challenged me that he wanted to use me in leadership, in his kingdom, and that it wasn't going to work if I lived at the far end of that introversion scale. And so I had to start learning how to be a better, more effective introvert, meaning not more introverted, but stepping out. And that was my first step is that I, and I want to say this to you, if you're an introvert, allow God to stretch you. Regularly step out of your comfort zone and know what energizes you. That'd be like my top three tips for introverts who want to be used by God. Allow God to stretch you. God, I know you haven't made a mistake by wiring me as an introvert, And I want to be used by you, so I'm going to allow you to stretch me. Well, when you pray a prayer like that, God actually says, yes, I will. And start stretching you by asking you to step out of your comfort zone. So regularly step out of your comfort zone. Slide up the introverted zone. This is not comfortable. Well, it is now. But when I first started preaching, it wasn't comfortable. I just want to be left alone. That was my goal in life. And when you're preaching, you get judged. Not by you. You people are beautiful, but just in... Some settings, it's, it's true. Allow God to stretch you, regularly step out of your comfort zone and know what energizes you. Sunday afternoons, there is a body map on my couch in my lounge room. You know at the CSI, they put the white tape around the body. There's one there on my couch and that's where I am Sunday afternoons. Louis has to come and check for a pulse. I am cooked. K-O-O-K. Cooked. Okay. Sunday afternoons. This destroys me. Having to preach. Having to talk to you. It dis- We've got a long table lunch. I'm going to have to interact with 20 humans for a couple of hours on top of this. This, is, this sounds like me being funny. I'm not being funny. This is my life. It's true. But here's the deal. I could choose not to do it. I could sit with you. Facebook, I can stay home, right? Allow God to stretch you, regularly step out of your comfort zone, but that third one is vitally important. I've had to figure out what energizes me, or for example, after a Sunday, re-energizes me. I've had to figure that out, and that's going to be different for different people. For me, it's safe people. I don't need 50 friends. I mean, I've got hundreds of people I'm friendly with and, and have levels of friendship. But in terms of these deep, spirited, intimate friends, I, I'm good with probably less than this in terms of... That, and that, and that's, that's quite common of introverts. But, but zero or one or two, mm, not so sure that's going to get it done. So know what energizes for you. For me, it's safe people. I actually do occasionally go from here on a Sunday afternoon to a few different select people and hang out with them because they energize me in a particular way. It's not a judgment. And if it's not you, you're like, oh, it's not me. Mark must hate me. No. No. Well, not necessarily. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you if I do. I'm good like that. Uh, various topics. See, Sunday, Sunday night, some of, some of these team know this. Sunday night, Sunday night, at Stephen Renati's engagement, I should have been 
in a straitjacket. Like, Sunday night, go out with, with, with humans? Are you crazy? This is like, like my worst nightmare. Should have been, but, but uh, on the growing ups table, where I was uh, forced to sit, was, um, was, uh, I was surrounded with other church leaders. And, and, and four or five hours went by like that because we, we talk about church and leaderships. It's, it's, it's not a job for us. It's a calling. And I came away more energized. Louis, you know, actually some smart Alex, like Scott Downey, was saying things to Louis. Who else? Uh, oh, come on, you can't keep calling him that. Anyway, point is, it was nine o'clock. I was still awake. That never happens. Me and Fat Cat, 7.30, we're down. So for you, if you're an introvert, do not crop yourself out of doing life in deep-spirited friendships. But understand that it's going to allow, you're going to have to allow God to stretch you. You're going to have to regularly, it's your responsibility to regularly step out of your comfort zone. And while you do that, understand what energizes you that, and give, you permission, give yourself permission to pull back and plug into the charger. But don't stay plugged into the wall because you're not going to be effective. Social media gives us a level of companionship without the deep benefits of in-person friendships. Because here's the deal. As Jesus said, John recorded it, at the end of our life, God's not going to measure us by the number of likes we got, but by the amount of love we showed. Some of you are going to give you an opportunity right now. The final thing I'm going to do this morning is give you an opportunity to make a decision to follow Jesus. Some of you have done that. Most of you have done that because I know your story. But if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, a personal decision, not talking about whether your grandparents used to go to a church or whether you've been coming here for weeks, that's not the question I'm asking this morning. I'm giving you an invitation for you personally to say to Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to I put my trust in you. So all I want you to do in a moment, if you've never made that decision to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. In a moment, I want you just to put your hand up. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. But you're putting your hand up to, to, to God, saying, God, I'm in. I want, to, I want to follow you. I want to put my trust in you. I want to have a relationship with you. The thing that Mark was talking about, how you created me to have a relationship with, I'd like to, I'd like to know more about that. I'd like to start that relationship. So how about those of you that have never made that decision before? Right now, just put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down, and then we're going to pray. We don't want to miss anybody. This is the most important thing we do every single week. You might be here for the first time. Hey, don't wait. Make this decision. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. It might be your second time, fifth time. You may have even been here for years and think that coming to church is the same as having a relationship with God. It, 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 it isn't. It fuels our relationship with God, but a relationship with God is us deciding to have a relationship with God. So just real quickly, you haven't ever made that decision, put your hand up now and just say, God, I want to have that relationship with you. Awesome. You put your hand down. Who else? Let's pray. So one person put their hand up and I know a bit of their story and I can tell you if you saw what I just saw, it's incredible. Let's pray in a prayer of commitment with that person and a prayer of celebration for those of you that understand. I was sharing with our team, listen, just before we pray, I, I occasionally revisit this. Um, when someone makes a decision to follow Jesus, they're not making a decision to, to go from becoming a bad person to becoming a good person. They're actually making a decision to be going from be, being a dead person 
because we're dead without a, a relationship with Jesus, to being raised to life. Death to life. It wasn't just Jesus that came back from the dead. Anyone who makes a decision to follow him comes back from the dead. Dead to, to life. How cool is that? So some of you have had that decision, and I hope you never, ever get sick of being reminded about that. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was a pretty good day. Went to McDonald's afterwards. That was pretty good too. So someone just got raised to life. Get it? So let's pray like we understand that. And for that person, we're going to pray with you because that's what we do. Life's better together. So is prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you for coming to earth in person, showing us, showing me, God. Today, I decide to trust you, to follow you, to commence a relationship with you. Thank you for forgiving me. And I commit with a brand new start that you're giving me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And we celebrate. Brilliant. The Festival of Steve is counting down. It has another 13 hours before the Festival of Louis takes over. Yes, I love festivals. I love birthdays. Um, Before we quickly finish, when he said that he would like people to stop talking and leave him alone, he wasn't talking about me. Some of you who laughed, okay? Just saying. It wasn't about me. Okay? He loves the sound of my voice. (laughs) And you can guess what I am. Total introvert. Yeah. Total. (laughs) Right.